The Bible Study Podcast, episode 599. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the Gospel of Mark with chapter 9. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As we get to chapter 9, we are more than halfway done with the Gospel of Mark. This is just over the halfway point. It is going quickly, I know, compared to that study we did of the kings of Israel and Judah. Mark 9 goes like this. And then he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. This is one of those odd places where they put the chapter marker in an odd place because this verse goes with that last part, which is Jesus telling them to take up their cross and deny their life. Then we get this verse, but the way our Bibles got organized, it got put into the next chapter. Um, But the reason for that is that the next chapter then goes on to the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Then he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what risen from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then it is written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected. But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. And so Peter, James, and John have this very special moment with Jesus where they go up on a mountaintop, Jesus' favorites, the ones that he is closest to, the ones who've been with him for a long, long time, the first of the disciples to be called, plus Andrew also. And they get to the top, and Jesus is changed. His clothes become whiter than anyone can whiten them, better than the best bleach, better than the best laundry detergent. I am reminded of the story of Moses from the Old Testament, Moses who joins this little trip, that when he goes up on the mountain and spends time in the presence of God, when he comes back down, his face shines so bright that it hurts for people to look at him. And so he begins to wear a veil. Jesus here is revealed to be the Son of God. He's revealed to be what he is to these three disciples. And they are scared. They are frightened. Because even though they have said that Jesus is the Messiah, even though they have been following him, they don't really quite know what this means yet. And the other thing they really don't know what it means is when Jesus says, 
don't tell anybody until I rise from the dead. And they're like, well, what could rise from the dead mean? <laughs> like, well, there are a lot of different things that rise from the dead can mean, but it's not anything you're expecting. It's not anything that makes any sense to them. And it really won't be anything that makes any sense until after he does it. And then they go and they go, oh, yes. Okay. I get it. And our life sometimes works that way too. Sometimes we have no visibility that God is working in our life until we look back. We have no idea what God is doing, no idea the plan that God has for us until we look back. And then sometimes, like Peter and James and John, we go, oh, I get it now. But Jesus spends this special time with Moses and Elijah. They're talking, I think we learn in the other Gospels, about what he's about to do, about him going down to Jerusalem to be this sacrifice that God has sent him to be. And Peter says, let's build some booths. Let's, let's make this into a tent camp. Let's stay here. Let's relish this moment. Let's remain on the top of the mountain. But Jesus did not come to remain on the top of the mountain. He came to go down to Jerusalem to die and to rise from the dead. And so this story wraps up, and it wraps up with this voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. Continues, Jesus heals a boy possessed by an impure spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. And so Jesus comes right down from the mountain and immediately it's back to work and it's back to work with the disciples who are in a pickle. They are trying to drive out this demon, but they don't know how. And they are unsuccessful. And this boy is suffering with this unclean spirit. 
and Jesus says, he's frustrated, how long shall I stay with you? Well, the reason that he's frustrated is he knows the answer to that is not long. Remember, as he's coming down the mountain, he has set his face to Jerusalem, where he is going to die. He's already spent time, last chapter, telling them he is going to go to Jerusalem to die. We're wrapping this story up, at least this chapter of the story, and he knows that he doesn't have much time with them, not in this way, not the way it is right now. And so he heals this boy and tells them that this can only be done by prayer. Jesus predicts his death a second time. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So he tells them again that he's going to die. And again, they don't get it. Now this is three times now that it's come up so far in the last two chapters. Still not getting it. And then he says, what were you arguing about? I knows probably. And you have to wonder if this argument was started by the three who went up on the mountain. If that was what started this argument of, well, we got this special time with Jesus. But what they're arguing about is, who is the greatest? And Jesus says, no. To be great, you be a servant. Whoever welcomes this children welcomes me. It's not about who's the greatest. And think about this from Jesus' point of view. In this crowd, Jesus is the greatest. Can we agree on that? I think the disciples would have agreed on that. They were just arguing about who was second after him. Well, he is on his way to Jerusalem. I already told them three times that he is going to Jerusalem to die. That his... Greatness is in his service, and his servanthood will lead him to death on a cross. So this whole argument about who is the greatest is really, really, really missing the point, because it's probably missing what greatness even means. Whoever is not against us is for us, teacher, said John. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. It's too easy for us to divide the world into us and them. And anyone who is not us must be them. And Jesus says, no. What are we about and what are they about? If we're about the same ministry, we are all us. Causing to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung about their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have Salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, I don't really think your hand will cause you to stumble. I don't think you really your foot will cause you to stumble. So Jesus is doing some exaggeration here, but his point is very, very clear, I think. If anything gets in the way of your faith, your relationship with God, if anything gets in the way of your way to heaven through Jesus, why would you not get rid of it? Right, Even if it were your hand or your foot or your eye, even if it were that much a part of you, isn't it better to choose God? Isn't it better to choose life? Rather than a great big millstone, rather than fire. And we do that in big decisions, and we do that in little decisions every day. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.